The sudden music floods you with memories and feelings. Maybe you and your partner have a song. Or do you hear a particular song and it takes you straight back to the dance floor on your first trip to Europe? I know I do. <laughs> um, it's an incredibly powerful trigger for memories music, especially the memories of our late teens and our early 20s. So why that stage of life? Well, Joe Lauder finds out uh, why that happens and also looks at the way music's being used to help people rediscover lost memories. As we go through life, we meet people, we form relationships, friendships, we travel to different places. And while we're forming these memories, so often there's a soundtrack. Yeah, um, the shins remind me of a time in my life with some, not my first boyfriend, but like a big love during high school. Um, my Sweet Lord by George Harrison just reminds me of my mum straight away. It's her favourite song. I remember when I was a kid, my dad told me it was a band and um, they did a cover of um, I think Returning Japanese. Robin Dancing on My Own when I was travelling in Amsterdam. It was a song that would come on and we were all like having a really great time. Music is this super stimulus for the brain. It activates widespread brain regions. Amy Baird is a clinical neuropsychologist. You know, we dance to music so it activates the part of the brain that controls movement. We have memories and emotions associated with music so it's activating the parts of the brain that control memories and emotions. And deep within the brain, the subcortical regions for um, feelings of reward and pleasure. So it really is a super stimulus for the brain. And Bill Thompson researches music cognition. That is, what exactly is music to humans? Why do we make sense of music? All it is is a sequence of sounds, and it's, they, they aren't words. They don't refer to specific things, uh, and yet it seems very meaningful to us. And uh, why does it affect us so strongly, so powerfully? And music really stamps itself in our brains. It's both reach of uh, music, and by reach I mean the sheer number of areas of the brain that music affects, which is kind of unique. So there's reach and then there's repetition. And that's important because we hear songs so many times that it sort of seems to get tattooed into our brain. And then also, you know, we need things that remain the same. You know, just the song remains the same. We might kind of know and accept that music helps us to remember, but it's a fairly new area of scientific research. Amy and Bill have been testing out just how powerful music is when it comes to triggering personal memories by testing it out on dementia patients. So far in our research, we have found that music does elicit more frequent memories than photos. So we're looking at famous songs from across the decades compared with photos of famous events from those same decades and we've found that music is, um, does elicit memories more frequently for people with dementia. And this period of our lives, when we're forming our identity, maybe meeting our first serious partner, is especially powerful when it comes to memories. The reminiscence bump is this well-known notion in autobiographical memory research that memories from our youth or our late teens, early 20s, are much more prominent and more frequent. And um, this fits with our research so far too. We've found that songs from people's youth are much more likely to evoke personal memories. So whatever music you're listening to now is going to stick with you for a long time. Just remember that. 
Researchers have described music as an island of preservation in people with cognitive decline. And there is no sweeter example than a case study in Amy and Bill's research. Yeah, well, this is Barbara and David. And Barbara was diagnosed with dementia about five years ago and um, it progressed quite rapidly. She um, was unable to speak, essentially. She only had a few words and also at times she failed to recognise her husband. They'd been married for 60 years, but she didn't recognise him and she'd say, who are you? And she'd send him out of the house thinking that he was an intruder. David was devastated and had no idea what to do, so he started singing their song to Barbara every day. And it was Unchained Melody by the Righteous Brothers, and it was significant to them because it played on the night that they met. It was the last song of the evening, and they danced together to that song. So he started to sing that to her every day, and he actually attributes that process of singing that song to her to her coming back. He said to me, she came back. I'll be coming home, wait for me. I know, it's just like that scene from The Notebook. It was us. It was us. Oh, it was darling. Us. Oh, my sweetheart. I brought along an old friend. Amy and Bill are going to use their findings to develop scientifically-based music programs for patients with dementia. And they say similar things can happen with other cognitive diseases like Parkinson's. So you can have somebody who's really unable to walk properly and is stumbling and unable to initiate movement. And then when you start playing music, suddenly that person can actually dance. Uh, and so they're able to use the rhythm of the music to replace the uh, areas of the brain that have been damaged by the Parkinson's disease. Hack on Triple J. Oh, what a story. I'm not crying, you're crying. Very emotional story about music, which it can be, you know, as you just heard, so evocative. Uh, Steph, you've called in from Maitland. You work in an aged care centre as a music therapist and you find people have a lot better music for memory than what happened five minutes ago. Yeah, so I've seen a lot of people who, um, yeah, can't even remember what, what they did or said a couple of minutes ago, but will remember every single word to a song from their childhood. Amazing. Um, and does that help them remember old memories from that time as well? It does. If you, um, you know, play them one of those songs or sing them one of those songs and then start talking to them about their childhood and um, where they heard that song and kind of other world events that were on at the time. Like for example, um, war songs I sing to them sometimes. They'll then be able to tell you about that time in their lives. And um, as uh, I've actually worked with Amy Baird as well um, with some people with Parkinson's and what music does for them. And it's just incredible what it can do for the, for the body and the mind. Yeah, totally. Steph, thanks so much for calling in with your experience. Thanks, Tom. Kiralee Musgrove is doing a PhD about music and craving and the brain. Uh, she's working at the University of Melbourne. Kiralee, thanks for joining us. Do you think there's an evolutionary reason why human beings respond so sensitively to music? Hi, Tom. Well, I guess there's no clear reason because, you know, we don't need music to survive, but there are some really good ideas out there. There's one idea that, you know, music helps us... Um, um, our social cohesion, mm. but the idea that I quite like is 
um, that, you know, we like music, we respond to it because it simply makes us feel better. It regulates our emotions. Do you think everyone feels it just as powerfully or is it, uh, you know, a stronger feeling for, for some people more than others? There does seem to be some variation. Um, there seems to be a bit of a spectrum in terms of how we respond to music. And there is actually this group of people that's been termed, um, they've been termed the music anadonics. So they're these people who have uh, pleasure responses to normal things like food and, and, and drugs and all of that, but they just don't have a pleasure response to music. So there is this special group of people who don't respond to music. I reckon I'm right up the other end of the spectrum. It really <laughs> gets me. And um, we heard in Joe's story that there's research on music and its ability to evoke lost memories for people with Alzheimer's. What are the other kinds of treatment uh, that music is used for? So music's being used really right across the board in terms of psychological disorders. It's being used um, in Melbourne, actually, to help patients with post-traumatic stress disorder. So it helps them um, to process um, their emotions and their, and their trauma. It's also used with patients um, with anxiety disorders, um, patients um, with severe depression. It's also used um, in patients with medical conditions like cancer to... to um, to feel, uh, to sort of reduce their anxiety and depression around their situation. Yeah, it's fascinating. I've also done stories in the past with people that suffer from schizophrenia where they hear voices in the head and they can use music to quieten those voices down or even engage with the very character of those voices, which is just fascinating. Um, Kira, it'd be great to keep speaking to you as your research evolves on, on the brain and music. Thank you so much for joining us on Hack today. No worries. Thanks for having me. That's Kiralee Musgrove, a PhD student at Melbourne University. Uh, one person has texted in saying, I got married a month ago. I walked down through the aisle to Strong by London Grammar. I've cried with happiness every time I hear that song. Someone else, I had to put my dog down and she passed. Uh, as she passed, a radio alarm came on and the song was Coldplay Paradise. I haven't been able to listen to it since, despite the fact that it's a wonderful song. And Maxim was moved by the older couple in that story. It was just beautiful. Maxim is crying at his work desk. Thank you so much for, for that message and all your messages. Catch you later. Hack on Triple J.